Come on, if he's saved you, if he's rescued you, if he's forgiven you, you got some oxygen in your lungs, come on, you can thank God for that. Hey, uh, it is such an honor to be with you this morning. Uh, pastor Matt uh, is just, he's such a great leader. He's such a great pastor, and he's got biceps that inspire. I don't know if you've noticed that. I was in the middle of worship, and I was worshiping, and I looked over my arm, and I was, should I do some push-ups real quick? Because I didn't, I didn't want people to compare the two. They say one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> But I'm so grateful uh, for Pastor Matt and the friendship uh, that we have. And uh, gosh, I've, we've, we've had a lot of laughs together, a lot of camps together. Um, it, how many of you guys, you've been at one of the camps with Pastor Matt back in the day when he was a youth pastor? And you guys, did you get, and you guys go to, you went to a camp with him as a youth pastor. Awesome. Amazing. You're still alive. That is, <laughs> those were like the, the days of like pre-lawyers and pre-like, wisdom, you know, where people are like, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, just um, anyways, but I'm glad that we all recovered from that. But um, hey, today we're going to go uh, through this text, and I want to answer this question, what moves God? What moves God? What moves God? And by the way, um, if you're not sure about me yet, I'm going to show you a picture of my family. Hopefully that will win you over. Look at that, you guys. Come on. It's my Winston, my Stella, my wife, Vanessa. Don't let Stella fool you. She is a firecracker. She will drive. I, I, had, to, I had to tell her early on. I was like, Stella, look at me. It's like, I am the captain of this ship, you know. But I had to tell her early on. I was like, Stella, you may run a company someday. You may run the country, but dad runs this house, okay? So we stopped to remind her, Winston is such a good boy. We love him to death. We uh, named him after Winston Churchill. Good thing he doesn't look like Winston Churchill. But we just said, hey, this world needs some, some strong leaders. And that was uh, about 10 years ago. And so how much more do we need that leadership? And my wife, Vanessa, we're 14 years in, happily married. We still love each other and like each other. And so that's good. And she's my best friend. I was texting her this morning. I, like, I, like, I just saw her. And I'm like, hey, how's your morning? It's like, it's stupid, but I feel like a high schooler. Anyways, um, but we're going to jump back into this text. What moves God? By the way, any parents of young kids? Where's all the parents of young kids? You guys are heroes. Look, just, you made it to church. You got the kids mostly dressed. Hopefully their shoes match. But um, I wasn't sure if I was going to mention, but I did write two children's books, one called You Are My Boy and one called You Are My Girl. And um, uh, it started out just as, honestly, as an accident. I wrote the first one for our boy just because I wanted to instill the right thinking in a child. And let me just say, the thinking of young people is under attack. Um, I'm, 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 I've been starting to study, uh, again, the Reformation. And one of the things that Martin Luther, one of the fathers of the Reformation, he talked about, if we do not reach the, the next generation, if we don't reach kids, if we don't reach children, like this is all just a show. We have to pass on what we know to the next generation. And so I, I was trying to figure out a way to teach my boy. And so I wrote him this book uh, called You Are My Boy, where we just... I just tell him over and over, this is who you are. 
And then, uh, then we had a daughter, and I was like, well, I either pay for therapy or I write her a book. <laughs> and so she's like, Dad, I'm five now. Where's my book? And so, <laughs> so uh, that one was a little bit different because that wasn't one uh, was intentional. Like we knew uh, this is actually this. There's some some thought behind this, but for any of the parents out there, hopefully. Uh, those will help you, guide you in, in your words to say to your kids. All right, Acts chapter 2, book of Acts chapter number 2, starting in verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed, going, how can this be? Verse 11, we hear all these people speak in our own languages about, this wonderful, about the wonderful things that God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. Others in the crowd are like, ah, they're just wasted. They're drunk, that's all. Peter steps forward, he goes, guys, no, listen. Carefully, all of you, fellow Jews, residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. In my mind, Peter claps every time he says one of those, make no mistake. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Make no mistake. Hear me now. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning, it's too early for that. I think he said that a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Like, hey, it's happy hours later, guys. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And I love another translation. If you look this up in some older translations, they say instead of this was predicted, it says, this is that. What you see right here is that. And now he quotes what that is. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Come on, young people. Someone said amen. Your old men will dream dreams. Come on, some people with some gray hair in their beards. Someone said amen. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike. Come on, ladies. Someone said amen. And they will prophesy. Peter's words pierce their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what do we do? Like, we hear you now. What do we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all the believers, save yourself from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said that day, they were baptized, added to the church about 3,000 in all. So we have this prayer meeting of about 120 people in an upper room. They're there because Jesus dies on the cross, resurrects. Book of Acts chapter number one, he goes, stay in Jerusalem. Oh, I got to switch. They're incredibly sharp, like little daggers. Sorry. 
It was, in, it was like in college, one of my friends was like, you realize you say some words weird. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> He's like, you, you don't say 20, you say 20. I'm like, because you say it with a twa. All right. Book of Acts chapter number one. Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they go into an upper room and they wait. They're doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. There's 120 of them. They get filled with the Holy Spirit and 3,000 people get added to the church in a day. Can you imagine, like, if, if, if this church, Church for All, goes from one service to two services, we'd be like, revival! Oh, my goodness! They went to, like, ten services. Children's ministries exploding. The parking lot team, their triple parking cars in the fire lane. You know what I'm saying? So when we see these great moves of God and we go, dude, I want that, we have to ask ourselves a question, what moves God? What moves, what makes God show up in a scenario? What makes God show up in a city? What makes God show up in your life? What makes God show up in your neighborhood? What makes God show up? Now, people today, they're moved by a lot of things. They're moved by a lot of things. I mean, I'm in LA. People are moved there. Like people literally move there because they are moved by notoriety. Like they, they want to be well-known. They want to make an album. They, they, they want to, you know, get on a set somewhere. They, they, they want to be seen. They want to be known. They're moved by notoriety. Other people, they're moved by money. They will literally move to another city. They'll move to another area just literally because money is what moves them. Some people are moved by fear or the fear of missing out. They, they, they just, everything's got to be safe and it's, they're moved by safety. Probably the group that scares me the most of what they are moved by, if I could be honest, is high school boys. High school boys, I have no idea, because high school boys, they do the dumbest thing, and if you ask them, why did you do that? They're like, I, I don't know. <laughs> why did you tip over that vending machine? I, we, we thought it would be a good idea. <laughs> One time, my buddy Cody and I, uh, we had these firecrackers, and, and we saw these bottle rockets, and you could put them in a puddle, and they would go through the puddle, and we're like, wow, it's so cool. It's like a torpedo of a submarine, and we had this bright idea, let's put it in the toilet and watch it, like, f go around at, at Cody's house, not my house, at Cody's house. And so we light this bottle rocket, and it's going around in the toilet, and then it points back up at us, and we get scared. We slam down the lid, and then the, the bottle rocket decided to go down, and right at the tightest point, it decided to go off, and the toilet explodes in all these pieces. And then you have to answer that question, what were you thinking? I don't know, I just thought it'd be cool. It's important to know what motivates you. What moves you. I'm not a counselor, I'm not a therapist. I have a counselor. <laughs> But it's important to know what moves you. What is a motivating force behind your life? Why do you do the things that you do? More importantly, I want to know what moves God, what makes God move. 
1949, Billy Graham has his famous crusade in Los Angeles. And maybe you've seen some of the photos. But up until this point, Billy Graham, he was not that well-known nationally. He was known in a couple of circles. And, you know, even if you talk to him, he's like, hey, I was just this poor country boy preaching the gospel. And they go to Los Angeles. And over the course of a couple of weeks, not only did that revival meeting that they, by the way, admittedly had low expectations for. They had low, they're like, hey, we just, you know, hope some people come out. Hope, hope that we get to reach some people. Like, you know, you, you never know who's going to show up. We just hope someone shows up. And they had to extend the tent. They had to extend the tent. They had to extend the tent. And it exploded. It exploded to the point that one out of six people in Los Angeles at that time heard the gospel from Billy Graham's lips. Most people wouldn't know, though, that there was two things that went on behind the scenes. One of them was that there was a woman named Pearl, and she felt this need prophetically from the Lord that wherever Billy was going to go, that she would go ahead and she'd begin to pray for those cities. So she began praying in Los Angeles. She was praying. She was going, God, we need a move of God in LA. God, we need a miracle. And you know the crazy thing where the miracle showed up? The miracle showed up from a guy named William Randolph Hearst, who was one of the major media tycoons in that area. If you're ever in California, you can see this thing called Hearst Castle. It's this massive castle. They've made movies about this guy. Like he was the major media tycoon of that area, uh, of that era. And he told his reporters two words. He sent out the telegram, you know, he did that thing. And it said two words, Puff Graham. Make a big deal about this. I don't know what this spectacle is, but everyone cover this thing. And so all of the greatest reporters go around this little tent and they begin reporting about it to the point that hundreds of thousands of people in my city heard the gospel. Billy Graham said this when he heard about the Welsh revival. There's this revival in, in Wales where there's this great move of God and, and, and so much so that all these like people in the mines, they started getting saved and they started following Jesus and their lives changed, okay? Their lives changed. And part of that sanctification process was they stopped swearing. And so their language got so cleaned up that literally none of their other coworkers could understand them. And the working mules that they would use in the mines were like looking at them like, I don't know, like literally they had to retrain their animals because they got saved. How wild is that? But Billy Graham heard about that Welsh revival and he goes, the three most important things that you can do is pray, pray, pray. Prayer moves God. When we pray, God moves let me say it another way. When you pray, God moves. You may not feel like your prayers are super strong, but you're still a child of the king. And let me just say this. My kids, they don't have an Oxford dictionary linguistic training. But when I hear my kid from across the house called dad, and I know that they're in pain, dad comes running and I'll go, well, actually, you said it kind of a little bit weird. You didn't use the proper language. When you asked for your chicken nuggets, you used a period when you should have used a comma. You didn't use the conjunction junction. What's that function? 
Prayer moves God. These last three years for our church, sorry, I'm looking at my time. I'm trying to keep, okay, there it is. I was like, I'm trying to keep track for you guys. Otherwise, I'll just keep talking. Last three years for our church have been nothing short of a miracle. Let me just say, and also, you being here today is a miracle. You showed up, you found this location, you drove through the woods, you got your kids dressed. Some of you guys came in on motorcycles, wah, wah, wah. Some of you came in a Prius. I don't know what it is about church plans, but both Pastor Matt and myself, guess what? We both roll the Prius. Everyone's got their cross to carry, guys. But the fact that you are here and God is here and this camp opened up this door and the worship team showed up and you showed up and you're serving and you're giving and you're following Jesus is nothing short of a miracle. Because let me just say this, especially for the younger believers in this room, life is full of so many different seasons. There are good times and there are bad times. In, in these last couple of years, as the earth has been groaning for a move of God, it is not the easiest times to show up to church. It's not the easiest of times to serve and set up chairs. It's not the easiest of times to say, you know what? I'm going to give and I'm going to send a kid to camp. So our church was one year old. Our one year anniversary happened on the day that Kobe died. It was a tragedy in our city. Literally, we're in church. My sister's blowing up my phone. All my family's come because we're diehard Lakers fans. Just any Lakers fans in here? Any Sonic fans? Oh. You guys will get a team. We'll get, we'll get a team back. I just lost after him. Like, I'm never going back to the church for some. That's what that is about. Came to church for the first time. The pastor's making fun of the Sonics. Literally forgot what else. Okay, one year anniversary. We have one year anniversary. 340 people at church blowing out. We're doing, uh, th this is like right before COVID. We're doing free health screenings. Like if it, we had a bunch of nurses that they were volunteering and we were doing food distribution. If you want food, we did a lunch for a community. Anyone wants to come, no questions asked, free lunch. We're gonna all come together. Man, it was incredible. And then literally just moments later, our whole city got shut down. And people started to, having to carry around pieces of paper that says, I am traveling because of a necessary work. And our worship team, even just to record, we had to send them like little pieces of paper in case they got pulled over. We lost our building actually during that time as well. Because we were leasing from someone and they're like, hey, we're scared. We don't know what this is going to look like. And so you guys can't be here anymore. And I was like, we have a lease agreement. Okay. And so our church literally for 18 months, we were just trying to figure it out. I don't know if you've ever been that way in your faith where someone's like, what are you going to do next? Like, I'm trying to figure it out right now. I don't know what's next. I know what's today. And there was like, why don't you have this figured out yet? Like, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm calling on God. And so our church literally for 18 months, we just prayed. We prayed. And we're like, Lord. And people are like, open up the church. I'm like, just give me a church and I'll open it. <laughs> You're like, open up the building. Give me a building, and I'll open it. I promise. We'll do seven services. I don't care. You tell me when. You want a 5 a.m. sunrise? Your pastor will show up. Just give me the building. And so 
one of the things that we saw that what we could do within our city is that we could do food distribution because those because the city literally no one could work and the city was hungry so we're like okay we can join and so we started helping with another organization we were feeding 700 families a week and then and then they this organization we partnered with they said hey you can use our parking lot but then everyone's got to stay in their cars uh, for church. And I was like, all right, we, so we did a couple of those services. And we were just doing everything that we could do. To, we're just trying to figure it out. We're just praying. We're like, God, would you do a move? Here's the hard part about prayer. I don't know how much time is between the book of Acts chapter number one and book of Acts chapter number two. Like how much time is between the prayer meeting and God showing up? How much time is between the prayer meeting? And you know it's a long prayer meeting because it said that they were all sitting in the upper room. <laughs> Have you ever been to one of those long church services? And you know what I'm talking about. Like you start, like you're standing at first. And I'm 40 now, so I kind of like lean on stuff sometimes, even if I don't need to. Because I'm like, I don't know. I got to ration out how long I'm going to be here. You start leaning on stuff, and then you just kind of sit, or, or if you're really spiritual, you kneel, but it's like, are you kneeling because of the Lord or because you're tired? <laughs> Someone else is just laying, I'm just going to wait on the Lord. No, you sleeping. <laughs> Lying in church, man. But how much time is between Acts number one and Acts number two? How much time between the upper room and God showing up? How much time between you praying for the next step and God showing up in a miracle? And it's usually in that spot right there where we go, I'm out. Or we give in to the pressure. We give in to the pressure. We start trying to make up stuff on our own because we can't handle the weight of the questions because we're not okay with Jesus's command in Acts chapter one, just go and wait. What are you doing right now? I'm waiting. Well, what, what are you doing while you're waiting? Praying. No, what I mean is, what practically are you doing to move the ball forward? I'm waiting and I'm praying. So for us, we were just waiting and praying. And actually during that time, people were like, Pastor, you're on it. Like, you know, they're just, they want stuff to happen. <laughs> you know, like, what's going on? Well, as we see here, not only does prayer move God, but even Jesus tells us in Luke 18, he says this, when he's describing the prayer of unrelenting people, he says, even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people, cry to him night and day? Well, is he gonna keep putting them off? He's talking about this unjust judge, and he's like, if the unjust judge finally gives in and relents to the widow who's just calling on justice, how much more your heavenly father who loves you. So for us as a church, we're literally in probably one of the biggest miracles I've ever seen. For us right now, we are, I was telling Pastor Matt on the way here, I just give, give him an update. We're three weeks away from getting a building, which is just miraculous for us. Absolutely miraculous. Getting a building, it actually, and we just like, We've been in this process, and it's actually the building where my, my father began his journey of faith. We didn't know this till we were already in this thing with him. And he got water baptized at that church in 1966. First Christian in my family got water baptized. And so I'm just like, oh, this is amazing. It does need a new air conditioner, and which 
it's 110 in LA right now. So I'm like, we don't have a building until we have an air conditioner. So if you have a friend in LA that does AC, that is generous. How about this question? What do, what do I do if I don't know how to pray? You can come on up. I'm going to start wrapping up. What do I do if I don't know how to pray? Because we know prayer moves God, but how about this? Have you ever been at a prayer meeting where you're embarrassed because everyone next to you, they're praying like they're a poet? They're like William Shakespeare over there. They're, they're, they're doing quotes and scriptures, and it's like got stanzas in their prayer? How do you have stanzas in their prayer? And it's got this movement to it. It's like a chocolate mousse. It's just, it's, it's light and fluffy. And it's, their, their prayer has flavor. And you're over there like, hey, God. <sighs> you. Me. But you. Amen. Go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. That, 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 that was it. What do you do if you can't pray? What do you do if you're not comfortable? You're like, all right, pastor, prayer moves God. Here's the great news. You know what else also moves God? Hunger moves God. Hunger moves God. Hungry people do crazy things. They do irrational things. Have you ever gone to the grocery store hungry? Worst decisions of your life. Literally, Dave Ramsey said the other day, he was giving people budgeting advice. And one of his top advice things was, don't go hungry. You'll just start buying, you, you'll, you'll make irrational decisions. Hunger moves God. Hungry people do crazy things. Have you ever been trying to go to bed and your, hum and your stomach's like, no, nah, we're, not, we're not going to bed yet. And you have to get out of bed. And if you're married, your spouse's like, where are you going? Like, I, I just need a snack. I need some crackers. I need some because my stomach is not, like, it's literally telling me that we are not going to bed. Like, why were you up in the middle of the night? I, I was hungry. Why, why were you reading your Bible in the middle of the night? I was just hungry. I'm trying to learn how to talk to God. Why were you going to church so early? I'm hungry. Why'd you go to two different connect groups? I'm hungry. Why'd you give to get those kids to camp? I'm hungry. I don't, I may not have all the words to say. I may not pray like the most eloquent person, but I do know this, I'm hungry for God. I'm hungry for God and hunger moves God. Listen to me, you may be in this room and you may not know how to pray. You may not even know the things, but you can do this. You're like, God, you, me, God, you. And we're laughing about it. But for that hungry person, they're just like, ah, God, I just want God. These 120 disciples in that upper room, some of them probably prayed eloquently this is not the text saying this, this is just me imagining into the text, but there's probably some people in the room that they don't know how to pray. You read the stories of the disciples and some of them are like Jesus, even at the end of his ministry, he's like, ah, oh, guys, no. They're like James and John, sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder. He goes, hey, uh, Jesus, you want us to call down uh, fire from heaven, like smoke these guys? 
Now, if you're on the security team, yes, you need to just, if you can keep that in your heart, especially if people come in. If you're in LA, we need that kind of security team. You want to smoke this? He's like, oh, no, you guys, you still don't get this. And so you have to imagine those are the people who are praying these prayers, not the people on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. But there are people who are just hungry for a move of God. I feel like today, and this is where I'm gonna gonna end, I feel like today that there's an invitation back to hunger. And then allowing that hunger for God to lead you. When your boyfriend or girlfriend, friend, roommate, spouse, someone's asking, hey, why, why are you doing this? I'm just, I'm hungry for a move of God. I'm hungry to see God move. I, I, I just want to see God move. Can we do this? Can you just close your eyes, put your hand on your heart? God, give me the gift of hunger. God, give me the gift of hunger. Some of you guys, you just got to pray, God, give, God, give me the gift of hunger. Not just, uh, some of you immediately in your mind, you're already thinking, all right, God, help me to pray more, help me to do more. No, no, just start, God, give me the gift of hunger. God, help me to hunger and thirst for righteousness. God, help me to outlast Acts 1, the waiting game. God, give me the gift of hunger. If you're in this place and with every head bowed, every eye closed, and you say, Wes, I'm not right with God. I'm far from God. I want to follow Jesus. I want to pray for you. I'm not, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to know who I'm praying for. On the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand towards heaven, just signaling heaven, but I want to know who I'm praying for. No one else looking around, just you and me. On the count of three, one, oh, hands already going up. One, two, three. Just lift your hand up real quick. One, two, three, four, five, six. Anyone else? Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anyone else? I see you in the back, my man. Thank you. Anyone else? About eight people. I want to lead us all in a prayer, especially for my eight friends, but I want you to repeat this prayer after me, and I'll, I'll tell you the same thing I tell our people in LA. It's like, hey, you, you, if you need to change up these words, if you speak a different language and you want to say in that language, the importance is not in the exact words. The importance is your heart praying to God. So everyone say this after me, not just my eight friends, but everyone else say, dear Jesus, I'm yours, and you are mine. Come into my life. Change me, save me, forgive me. I'm all yours. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Now with every head still bowed, every eye closed. I'm just gonna invite you just to lift your hands towards heaven. God, give me the gift of hunger. God, I wanna hunger and thirst for righteousness. You said, if I hunger and thirst for righteousness, I would be filled. I want to see a move of God. We want to see a move of God here in the Pacific Northwest. Lord, I pray that you would give us 